Hello and welcome to You Don't Have to Be Alone, the podcast all about uh, mental health and people's experiences with it. Um, so today we actually have a guest and over the next, well, next couple of episodes, there will be, um, I'm hoping, a couple of guests over the next few weeks. Um, and as it stands at the moment, I've just been a guest myself on another podcast called Nothing Holic Podcast. And I'll link that in the description below and yeah hopefully you know go check that out um the podcast is about nothing at all really um it as the name suggests it's all about just um well it's just entertainment and um it can be about anything at any time and um the episode i did i just talked about my experiences why i run this podcast and uh, what's going through that so yeah go go check that out um and so um today you might have noticed i haven't actually uh, done the whole uh, disclaimer at the beginning in the same way um so i'm going to do that now anything that comes from me absolute rubbish don't need to listen to it i'm um, everything from me is experience and isn't professional um but i do have a guest today uh, ryan who um is a therapist so actually has a little bit more knowledge in that area so you might find that some of the things he says are can be taken a little bit more without the pinch of salt um so hi ryan hi dan thanks for having me on yeah and i, I do a similar disclaimer I, I am a therapist but i'm not uh your therapist or, or anyone out there's therapist uh, more than likely um so i'm happy to share some of my experience and my uh training whatever i can do to be helpful I, I love uh sort of spreading the word on all the benefits that therapy can offer so happy to be here great um so yeah i just wanted to touch on um today just the sort of preconceptions that people have in their heads so i know that um i think everyone when they think of therapy they think of sort of this couch that you lay on and some guy sitting there with his clipboard asking lots of questions and relating everything back to your childhood or um, to sort of some form of like how your parents treated you or something like that. Sure. Um, so yeah, just if, if we were to walk in um, to your office or um, wherever it is that you conduct business, what, what is it that we would find? Yeah. So it's funny because some of those preconceptions sort of are true, right? You, you know, especially for people who are going into therapy in person, um, you are more than likely going to be in an office or a community mental health setting. Um, there might even be a couch um, and your therapist might have a clipboard. Um, and, you know, especially in the first session, for sure, you know, that uh, especially with me, is is going to be more of an evaluation, right? We're sort of talking about what's going on, how things got to where they are today, um, sort of breaking down the different stressors and things that uh, you've done to sort of address those issues that you're experiencing. And then you know, we form a, uh, say, a treatment plan where we identify some different goals that we want to work on. Um, but I think it's the the sort of first session onward where people kind of to your point here have some different ideas about what that work actually looks like, you know, whether it's all just sort of psychoanalyzing, you know, things that happened in childhood or are we just blaming your parents and things like that. And, um, you know, there are types of therapy where it's much more focused on uh, childhood experiences and, and trauma and things like that. But um, to give you a sense of what, uh, 
a work with me would be like, um, you know, I am much more present focused, um, sort of what's happening in the here and now, and also skills focused. So helping you once we've identified sort of some of the difficulties that you're experiencing, um, trying to break down what you are already doing that helps you sort of address those challenges, but also can we practice some different skills um, to help you feel more effective in managing those challenges. So um, everyone feels differently about homework and, and you know, skill building and things like that. But I really find it important so that we're not just, to your earlier point, just sort of sitting and talking once a week forever um, and just sort of hoping that the talking on its own is going to be what's making a difference. So in in that respect, does talking make a difference? For example, would um, something that I encourage a lot of my listeners to do, and I'm more than willing to be wrong, is to open up to um, if you know if they're experiencing some form of mental health issue, is to open up to um, friends and family and people around they trust. Um, so would that? I suppose it's would it be a combination of the two or would it be more a case of actually let's get some form of um, plan in place? Yeah. So uh, absolutely is it's great advice to sort of encourage people to open up and share about their experiences. And that is certainly a part, even a big part of therapy is the sort of processing um, of your emotions. And that sort of feels like a fluffy way of, just saying like, let's talk about how you're feeling. Um, mm -hmm. But we try to go a little bit deeper than that. Um, and especially in work that I do, um, it's a lot of sort of teasing out. Um, okay, so this happened to you, or this is how your day or week or month is going. Um, how specific are we in terms of identifying your emotional state, right? Because it's not just that you're sad. Obviously, there's probably a lot of other things going on underneath that sort of surface level awareness. So the processing is really taking the sort of top level of this is what happened to me or this is what I'm doing, and then sort of uh, tracing back either the different layers of uh, the sort of impact of those experiences or in the extent of, you know, trauma work and things like that, tracing back those experiences um, to the sort of impact of, you know, initial traumatic experiences that people have had that sometimes inform those present patterns. Um, so talking about how you're feeling is hugely important, especially to get that sort of validation and understanding of, you know, what the situation is. But for me, the sort of a piece of where therapy comes in is, okay, now that we've kind of talked about it and broken down what the problem is, now what are you going to do after you leave this session? What's going to be different? What are we trying to accomplish as we kind of break down this problem? Because talking by itself um, while can give you some emotional relief, right? Because we're, we're letting go of some of those emotions. If behaviors don't change sort of around those experiences, then what people are likely to experience, and I think why frustrating, why therapy is frustrating for some people is if change is not happening, if skills are not being put in place, if uh, shifts in how we let's say, view the world or view our relationships or, or you know, interact within those relationships. If those differences are not changing, then it's really just we're going to be keep telling the same story over and over again, you know, once a week for, yeah. you know, days and weeks and months and years in some cases.
Yeah. So um, you've got quite a few tools at your disposal, haven't you? As um, great disposal as a um, as a therapist, because I know um, for me, I've had various therapies where I've had counselling and I've had um, CBT. Sure. And um, they even put me on some form of it was almost like a course on how to deal with your emotions. Oh, great. Um, sure. So, yeah, just. Yeah, so it's not always going to be a case of, OK, you're going to be I think most people go straight to the counselling, um, but that's not always the case, is it? When you're I think it I, I suppose you have to match that to the person. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So in, in my work, um, you know, we partner with um, coaches. I also partner with psychiatrists, um, you know, who whose primary difference from a therapist is that they can prescribe medication. Obviously, that's different in uh, different countries and things like that in terms of, uh, you know, the type of people that do that work. But um, I'm based in the U.S., and we would partner with a psychiatrist who can prescribe medication for people who are interested in medication for their mental health challenges. Um, but I might also partner with coaches or or um, um, like even like physical therapists if people have had sort of medical uh, or physical challenges in, uh, in and around their mental health challenges. Um, so that sort of like team approach to therapy, I think, is really important and can actually sort of speed up the recovery process because you know, let's say someone's in therapy and they're struggling with, you know, finding a job. Um, well, I might, you know, partner with a career counselor or I might refer them to a career counselor um, because while we can certainly talk about finding a job in therapy, you know, if if that's a specific um, barrier, then obviously we want to make sure you're getting, you know, help to accomplish that goal outside of therapy as well. So, um, so yeah, so my view on it is, you know, therapy is to kind of help identify what the barriers are in between you and the goals that you want to accomplish and then breaking those down and then certainly bringing people in, um, in many cases, other professionals uh, to help us accomplish those goals. It's interesting that you said that um, you would refer through to, um, I can't remember exactly the term she used, a psychiatrist for, um, for medication. Because um, here in the UK, it works quite a bit differently in terms oh, of... Oh, sure. Um, so we, our GP or, um, I guess family doctor um, mm -hmm. to an American, um, would be the one that would prescribe any medication to us. Um, and sometimes you can even get your medication before having gone through any form of talking therapy whatsoever. Um, is that, could that be potentially damaging? Uh, oh, so now what, what you're describing does happen in the U.S. as well. Okay. People absolutely, in many cases, you know, uh, even before they go to therapy, they might tell their primary care physician, uh, general practitioner, um, you know, yeah, I've been feeling a little bit anxious recently or I've been feeling de depressed. And in many cases, a uh, family doctor can prescribe medication before someone's in therapy. Um, I've certainly had people come to me, oh, yeah, I got this medication or that medication from my doctor. Um and, you know, uh, our relationship with psychiatrists is basically, uh, you know, it's not necessarily that it's damaging getting medication like this from your family doctor, more that if we want, um, let's say, a more dedicated course of treatment where you're seeing a psychiatrist specifically to manage that medication, whereas your, you know, your general practitioner um, is maybe managing that medication, but also is helping you with things like uh, your cholesterol or um, dietary issues, things like that. Um, 
you know, getting that dedicated professional whose sole focus is, let's say, your uh, depression medication, um, we find can be helpful in sort of clarifying some of those roles. But uh, what you described is absolutely possible and not not necessarily detrimental. I would say um, what we tend to see is that if a medication um, like change needs to be happened, uh, like a, a dosage adjustment or uh, if they want to take uh, a different type of medication. So we're talking about sort of managing the intensity or the frequency of the medication. You know, I would say in most cases at that point, a primary care physician would refer a patient to a psychiatrist. Right. Okay. Yeah. So again, um, I've had various changes in mine. Um, so I think, I guess just a different thing in culture and probably mm -hmm. where we've got the NHS it probably, um, which obviously has to worry a lot more about its bottom line. So I think we've sort of, they, yeah, they kind of have to do it differently. So yeah, it's always been my GP that's changed that. But yeah, it's interesting to see the difference between um, different countries um, mm -hmm. and sort of um, yeah how they how they work things in a ver well in the same field. It's quite a yeah, interest. I find that interesting anyway. Um, but yeah, so with um, we're going going back to therapy, I suppose. Um, so you've got someone evaluated, and mm -hmm. you're you're with them, and you know you've been working with them for for a while. Um, on average, what would you say it would take, or how many sessions do you think it would take the average person? Um, suffering with say depression before um, you would sort of discharge them if you would sure so for me the average uh, length of stay in terms of number of sessions tends to fall in the sort of 12 to 15 sessions uh, 15 to 18 I would say but that's probably my average but I I'd by no means limit people to that number of sessions um, certainly do individualized care to make sure the progress is tailored towards where a patient is at in terms of uh, how they're feeling. Um, but I like the sort of, I don't want to say short term, I wanna, we say goal oriented model, right? Where mm -hmm. we want you to feel like you are um, making progress to the point that you want to manage your experience on your own. Um, we sort of joke about it in the sense of like putting ourselves out of business, helping you build enough skills that you don't need us anymore. And maybe even you don't, uh, not that you wouldn't want to come and keep talking to us forever, um, but more that you feel so comfortable and so, um, let's say, uh, competent in managing your emotions or managing whatever mental health challenges might exist, that it's sort of like you don't feel like you need to come anymore. Um, for us, that is a, a great outcome. Um, so that sort of goal-oriented model, I think, works well towards that sort of number of sessions that we can identify goals, work towards them over time, and then get to a place where, you know, you can sort of manage those symptoms on your own. Um, but certainly I've worked with people over uh, many years as well. And some people just are more comfortable having that sort of long-term support. And in instances where that's appropriate, I think that um, that can certainly be beneficial to people too. So I, I, I rarely would like kick someone out of treatment. Um, you know, it's more, Hey, we want to make sure that we're getting to a point where you feel like you're able to manage this, uh, let's say whatever challenge you're navigating on your own. Okay. Okay. So 
yeah that that's quite again quite interesting with the difference that we've got here is that we um well i don't know what it is that different areas of the uk work differently of um, course but where where i am um i was permitted eight sessions mm-hmm. in the nhs and after that i'd have to pay um, which is and we yeah we see some common um, setups here as well um, in some of the settings that I work um, in as you know as you said in the UK the NHS sets up eight sessions so we oftentimes get our benefits through our employer and you know I've seen everything from an employer cover four sessions up front to twelve sessions to fifteen to twenty so mm-hmm. a lot of variety in that which I is, is I'm sure you know confusing for people as well. Yeah, I think for me it felt because I already knew how many sessions I was going to have. I already, mm-hmm. it felt very much like, oh, okay, I can see that last session coming, and yep. it was kind of, I kind of almost felt like I was having to rush myself to get better, um, in order to sort of be out of that. But um, but yeah, it's it's quite an interesting sort of scenario i think sort of having to sort of have a number on it but um but yeah i'm sure uh, i know that the counselor i was with was um i sort of had eight eight sessions and you know those eight sessions were really valuable and by the end mm-hmm. of it i did feel a lot better in myself and i did feel like i could sort of help myself deal with my emotions a lot better um so definitely something um i would encourage people to do is actually go and see a a therapist or counselor or whatever whatever is available to them um i guess if there was still someone with a reservation Mm. what what would you say to that person if you had that opportunity so i like to make the comparison between mental health and physical health um when it comes to people's reservations about going to therapy and what's it going to be like. Um, I don't know if this is true in the UK, but uh, in the US, we have, you know, a yearly physical, right? You go see your your primary care physician to just sort of have a checkup, right? Um, to check your blood pressure, do your weight and height, and uh, maybe you get blood work done, right? Yeah, so, yeah kind of. We, we just go whenever we feel we need to but yeah, yeah that's um... nice <laughs> that would probably be a better way to do it that way but you know at, at a minimum you know it's it's covered in under most insurances that you get a yearly physical and then for most people i would say you know ongoing care often comes out of that oh you know your cholesterol is high and your yearly physical let's talk about whether or not you need cholesterol medication things like that um <laughs> but i i try to bring that framework into mental health in the sense of Mental health for most people is not something we necessarily think about on a regular basis. We just sort of, you know, our we keep our head down, we we do our jobs, we manage our families, things like that, and and it's only when we think about our mental health when things are feeling like they're at a crisis point that they're really bad. I'm really stressed, or I'm not sleeping, or my relationship's in trouble, or I got fired because of, you know, I missed too many days of work. Um. And for me, the idea of a yearly, let's say, mental health checkup is something that holds a lot of value because even if you went to a therapist just for one session once a year to say, oh, here's how I'm feeling in my life and here are the challenges that I'm dealing with, um, you know, most therapists would say, okay, well, it sounds like you're doing great. Maybe you don't even need therapy, um, but it's good to kind of have this sort of check-in 
both so you can normalize the idea that you can talk about how you're feeling, but you can also get, I think to your earlier point, the kind of professional feedback of, you know, hey, it seems like maybe sometimes you're not sleeping well, or maybe you get a little bit stressed or anxious. Um, here are some skills to practice, or here are some resources that you might benefit from using if this anxiety or stress continues to become an issue. So now off of that one session, you've had a helpful conversation, and it's now it's something that's a little bit more top of mind of something that you can work on to prevent stress or anxiety from becoming a more serious issue. So that's why I advocate for people just if you're even considering it, just to go have that initial session, um, you know, meet someone, see what it's like in their office and see what it's like to talk to them, see if you get along with a person and talking about some of these sensitive issues. And if it doesn't feel like a good fit, you know, by all means, um, let that be your only session, because, you know, I, I we certainly don't want people to have negative experiences in therapy to the point that they're then sort of not taking advantage of that type of support. Have you found that? Um, you get some patients that um, maybe aren't a good I'm, I'm not sort of criticizing the way you do your job at all because I don't know how you That's do okay. it but, yeah, um, yeah sure but do you find that some patients just find that you're not the fit for them but another therapist might be Sure. So I would say that uh, maybe a good example of this is if a patient is dealing with a very a very specific um, diagnosis or a very specific, um, let's say, life circumstance that they want an expert on. Um, so let's say I'm thinking of an example, um, let's say eating disorders. Um, so eating disorders are a very specific um, mental health challenge that people can suffer with. Um, and if someone came to me and if they said, um, you know, I'm dealing with stress or anxiety, but as a result of that, um, you know, I've been binging and purging or I've been, you know, having some difficulty uh, with my appetite. You know, I might even tell them, well, I, I do have some training in this area, but I am not an expert in eating disorders. So if that's something that you're looking for, or if that's something that you feel like you want some specific support with, I would even be the person to suggest, you know, a referral to someone with that sort of expertise. Um, so I've not had the experience where people don't uh, are not a good fit for me just based off of personality. Um I think that's because I one of my strengths is just sort of being able to adapt and and work with people in a way that they're comfortable, sort of wherever they're starting from. Um, but certainly, if people are looking for specific treatment approaches or or specific expertise, I'm more than happy to make sure that they get that appropriate level of support. Because um, I would never want to work with someone and and them to be feeling like they're not getting the sort of quality of care that they're looking for based on their challenges they're experiencing. So um, I suppose just in terms of um, humanizing therapy, if you like, um, sure. I know that um, here it's incredibly like I, I actually looked in years ago to becoming a therapist myself. Sure. Um, and I recall sort of in literature, it's saying that, you know, you need to be in therapy whilst you're a therapist. Um, because the sort of things that come onto you, you're going to need to sort of let out. Um, mm. because it's like that human side of you, you're still, of course, you're still sinking that in. Um, so yeah, I suppose just to humanize sort of therapy in that way, is, is it, um, is that something you do? Are you 
under therapy yourself um and um forgive me if i'm being a bit personal but oh no you, that's that's quite you, all right i i appreciate the opportunity with, <laughs> have you suffered with any sort of mental health issues yourself so uh you know to answer your first question um yes uh therapists are strongly encouraged um not necessarily required to be in therapy themselves but i would say definitely strongly encouraged to be in therapy um and it's not that they have to be in therapy constantly at all times but um i would say it's definitely the case where therapists you know have been in therapy or have a therapist that they check in with uh you know on occasion as i mentioned the sort of example before um i absolutely have been in therapy at at several different points in my life um and for all sorts of different reasons but i think to to answer your your sort of um scenario before you know one of the really important things for therapists is also to have a good supervisor so just like any job um to be able to have someone that you can go to with specific challenges of the job to be able to talk about hey you know i'm struggling with this or you know this is a really difficult case to be able to have that supervisory support is also really important so that you're not just sort of isolated doing the work uh which as you noted can be quite heavy um but the sort of seeking out therapy side of it is more just to kind of make sure that whatever you're dealing with in, in your life, whether it's sort of day-to-day, uh, you know, family stressors or financial pressures or whatever it might be, that you're not bringing those uh, stressors into work. So to have that emotional outlet um, as, a, as a therapist uh, can attest to, uh, is something that's really appropriate and something that I've absolutely taken advantage of on multiple occasions. So, um, not in, not in therapy at the moment. Um, but I have been in therapy within the past year, um, to kind of give you a context of sort of frequency and things like that. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's hugely important that, you know, we, um, sort of practice what we preach, right? That if you are sort of acknowledging that this is something that could be helpful for anyone, that absolutely um, I take advantage of the sport as well. Great. Um, so, yeah, I guess just to finish off, the question I have in mind for all my guests um, doesn't seem incredibly relevant, um, but usually what I'd ask is um, to sort of finish off is if you could ask your, uh, tell yourself anything at your lowest point now that you're not at that lowest point what would it be um so i suppose um if you could tell um obviously confidentiality so don't <laughs> don't actually of course <laughs> don't actually refer to a patient but um, i appreciate it yeah but um yeah if if you could tell one of your patients at their lowest point just one thing then what would that be yeah it's a good question i i think maybe just a kind of point of of um clarity here is you know i think a lot of people sort of expect or or wonder if to what extent therapists are people who give advice um and you know in session and things like that most therapists um i would say try to hedge away from being advice givers because we really want people to become and to be the experts on themselves that they are like you, Dan, you know yourself better than anyone else. So any insight that you gain from therapy, I want it to be yours that you discovered and you learned sort of on your own, me giving you sort of specific lessons and stories and advice while valuable. And certainly we do it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we don't want 
patients that we work with to be reliant upon that advice for how they solve their problems. Um, all of that being said, um, you know, one of the sort of pieces of advice I would say that frequently comes up for me in therapy and with people that I work with, um, is, uh, we sort of, you know, I always tell people to watch out for sort of how they talk to themselves. Right. And anytime, uh, we use what we call should language, right. Oh, I should have mm -hmm. done this basically regrets. I should have done that. I could have done this. I would have, if only, um, that it doesn't necessarily feel like it, but that's judgment. That's us judging ourselves that because I didn't do that thing, I feel like I should have done. Um, now I start to get down on myself. I start to get angry or frustrated with myself. So anytime you catch yourself with should or could or would have um, language, the advice I give to people is to shift from that sort of past focus and into the future. Okay, well, if you feel like you should have you know, applied for a different job, what do you want to do with that feeling today or tomorrow? Do you want to go out and apply for a new job today or tomorrow? Do you want to uh, put that feeling into action in the present or in the future? Because you can decide that you don't want to, and obviously that would be okay. But any expectations that you have that you're putting on your past self, that past self can't do anything to change what it's already done, right? So um I see that a lot in in therapy is people kind of getting stuck in the past and regret and shame and guilt. Um, and the more we can kind of bring those emotions into the present and allow ourselves to make decisions in the present that we feel good about, you know, the more we sort of free ourselves from those past regrets. So if I if I give advice, it's frequently something like that. Great. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah. Um, is there anything... Uh, I guess before we close, is there anything you'd uh, sort of any particular myth or um, about therapy that you want to debunk or um, any particularly particular thing that you find would be important to say um, on this topic or? Um, yeah, so in, in many ways, um, you know, therapy can kind of be exactly or it could be anything that you want it to be, right? If you're looking for a therapist that you just want to listen and they do, you don't want them to say anything, you just need an outlet um, to talk, you know, therapists, I'll speak for myself, I'm happy to just listen to you for an hour if that's what you want to do once a week. Um, if you're looking for uh, advice, if you're looking for, um, now what I will say is that, you know, therapists are not necessarily going uh, into a relationship where they, we want to be your friend, but we can absolutely be friendly. And if that is what you're looking to develop or learn the capacity to build relationships, we can help you role play that we can help you figure out how to form those relationships. So, you know, therapy is not a solution to all problems, but it can be part of a solution to just about any problem. Um, so that's why I try to sort of normalize that this is just a type of support that anyone can benefit from. So um, whatever your notions about what you think therapy are, um, just sort of imagine it could be anything that you need it to be. And if you bring that mindset into therapy, you will benefit from it. Great. Yep. Thanks. Um, yeah. Thanks for your time. And uh, thanks for um, your input on this matter. I think it's uh, really important. We do get um people thinking differently about therapy because i know there's a big stigma attached attached to it and um yeah it's been really helpful to actually hear from a therapist 
Um, so yeah, thanks for that. Um, thanks for your time. And um, yeah, I'll let you go now. My my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for uh, you know spreading the word as you do. Appreciate people, um, you know, offering that support and guidance. So, thanks for having me. Okay, thanks. You have been listening to You Don't Have to Be Alone. If you'd like to get in contact, then please search for me on Instagram at Not Alone Podcast, on Facebook at You Are Not Alone Podcast, or simply email me at Not Alone Podcast at Hotmail.com. That is Not Alone Podcast, all one word, at Hotmail.com. See you next time.